This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tank Girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by Esper. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Friday, April 15th, 2022. And my guest is the awesome David Ruddock of Esper, hence sponsored by Esper. Hi, David. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well. And this is my first time ever being like a talking head on a, a show. So this will it. be fun for me. You yeah, can do it. I, it's all I good. I do it. <laughs> um, guide us through what you want to talk about, because I actually, you and I talked a few times now about some of the cool stuff you guys are doing at Esper. I'm actually really excited to find out more. So what are we talking about today? Yeah. So the way I put it to people, especially if you're familiar with the, the smartphone space, is we're really in what I would call the hidden world of Android, which is all these Android devices that you probably don't see every day or think about, really. You probably do see a lot of them, actually, but you're probably not thinking about them. And what do I mean by that? Like, how many devices really are out there running Android that aren't like phones or tablets, right? And the answer is actually... So many. You wouldn't believe how much stuff is out there running Android every Surprise single day. Surprise us, David. Come on. Yeah. So, I mean, what is we're talking, I mean, we're talking hundreds of millions of devices globally, but in terms of types of devices, it could be like anything from, you know, you might consider kind of boring, but like point of sale devices, it's extremely popular um, for essentially modern cash registers. It's very modern for customer service or self-service kiosks in a customer, like, you know, so like McDonald's, in an airport. right? When you, yeah, sure. Like, I don't know what that, McDonald's is running, but that okay. idea. Totally. Idea. What about like, so square point of sales, not the actual iPads people use, right. converted, but the actual genuine square, are those Android or what are they custom OS? Do you know? They're based on AOSP. Uh, and most of these things are because there's a real good reason for that. I think you probably would guess by now free and open source. <laughs> so, I mean, that that tends to get people's attention, right? Well, it's like it's a it's an operating system. Somebody's putting it out there, somebody being Google, and they're putting it out there ostensibly for free. So, it's made it really attractive to a ton of different industries, and I mean, we're in a bunch of different ones. Like, so you could be talking about in-vehicle infotainment. Tons of cars run in-vehicle infotainment OSs based on AOSP, not even true Android. There are tons of pieces of fitness equipment. So, Peloton Peloton runs based on AOSP. Believe right. it or not, they're on Android Nougat still. Um, and Ew. so, yeah, exactly. And we actually have a customer called Climber who make essentially what I would call the Peloton of climbing machines. And they run based on AOSP. Uh, we have a customer called Ciata. They make two-way cellular walkie-talkies for first responders. You Those and are on I AOSP. talked about this when you were on my show like a few weeks ago. Yes. That is so cool. It is. It's really, I mean, the different form factors. Literally, we have a walkie-talkie with a monochrome LED like 0.8 inch screen that's not even it doesn't even have a user interface to speak of that is an information readout and then we have like a I don't know probably like 600 pound climbing machine um, that also runs Android and that we also manage and you're probably thinking okay well what's the commonality here aside from operating system and there is one and we'll get there but first I'd love to you know talk a little bit more about what does Android actually mean in this context, because that's yeah. like a much different question, I think. I think a lot of people just think, you know, Google's flavor Android, or maybe if they're a little further down the, you know, the nerdiness level, they'll be like, oh, you know, the Chinese are running uh, non-Google sanctified versions of Android on their, you know, phones. Like a uh, good example is Huawei with right. Harmony OS, which we all know is 
Android AOSP with stuff on it. <laughs> so beyond that, where do we go from there? So when you're talking about these kinds of devices, like a climbing machine, like this weird two-way walkie-talkie, or when you're talking about a cash register even, the things these devices need to do what they do every single day are really different from what like your smartphone does. It doesn't matter if your smartphone's in China or the US. We're talking about devices that functionally are just very different in the way people interact with them. So they're not opening up a browser. They're not checking their email. They're not, you know, like going into settings and turning Wi-Fi on and off necessarily. Not to say they couldn't do that. But the idea is they're unitaskers. They're meant to do one thing all day, every day. That square point of sale is meant right. to process transactions all day. That is what keep it's a record meant to... and be secure right. and interface on the networking level, a bunch of other products probably, which yeah. is why you can't just use the L word. Right. And that's, that is a big part of it because Linux. I mean, that is, yeah, for those of you who didn't <laughs> get that one, but it's a, uh, that is a huge challenge that comes with it. But the reason these devices don't run what Google would call Android, um, because Google their version of Android and not version, the definitive Android has Google services. That is how Google defines Android as a term, as a brand, as a product. Now, once you remove those Google services, you don't have Android anymore. You have the Android Open Source Project or AOSP. Now, that is what most of these things are built on, like Peloton. Peloton's built on top of AOSP. But that means you're missing a bunch of things that Google otherwise would provide. And the most common ones to understand from a consumer perspective are things like push notifications. Like your phone gets push notifications because of this thing called Firebase, which is a developer tool published by Google that allows develop app developers to basically talk to a Google server that serves you app notifications from the right. cloud. Um, believe it or not, your phone is not serving you notifications like directly. Um, they are coming down from a server somewhere that is yeah. sending a package and saying, hey, you've got a notification. So if you were to, for example, install the Gmail app on a phone running AOSP without Play Services, without Google stuff on there, but you tried to install Gmail, well, Gmail wouldn't get any notifications, most likely. Um, a lot of other things probably wouldn't work either. The app might not even boot up, most likely, depending on which uh, APKs you've installed. So there are a lot of things, like even weirder stuff, like Android doesn't have, or AOSP doesn't have a stock time server set. Like, so you have to configure your own time huh, server. Okay. Like just very random things, right? Like the kind of stuff you might expect to hear if you were building your own Linux distro, which in many ways you are, are if you choose to go with AOSP. The difference, of course, being that AOSP has an extremely mature silicon vendor ecosystem, an extremely mature app developer ecosystem, and a device ecosystem that is truly massive. It has scale. Right. So there are great tools to build things to do a lot of this. But if we go back to this kind of like our climbing machine or our weird walkie-talkie handset, well, in a lot of cases, Google doesn't even clearly define those as being compatible with its services suite. Not to say that they aren't, but that even getting them certified for GMS, which is what it's called, Google Mobile Services, would be a pretty big challenge. Not to mention just the challenge of actually doing it financially and resource-wise, but time. Um, right. Certification with Google takes time. And what do you get out of that certification at the end of the day? Well, you get the ability to use all of those cool Google developer tools, which are really great for certain app experiences. And I say certain app experiences. In our world, they often aren't useful. Uh, yeah. 
And so you might have something, the most important thing you get out of that though, and that's where we really step in, is the ability to distribute software updates just to your say core that. application yeah. experience via the Google Play Store. And that is really why most companies, even in the corporate world, might want to use Google Mobile Services because, hey, that's the app store that's scaled for billions of devices. It's going to be reliable. It's yeah, it's a to... known entity too, right? Exactly. So... And, you know, they probably are already publishing apps on the Play Store themselves, whether they're corporate apps or they might be consumer-facing marketing apps. It's, it's, you know, depends on the business. But when you start going through that process, A, you run into all those delays, those costs, those complications. Your device may not even be a suitable target for GMS at the end of the day. The right. Seattle mobile handset, probably not a suitable GMS target. <laughs> no. um, wouldn't make sense. So. The reason you still might do it, though, is because you're saying, okay, with AOSP, I don't have a way to deliver any updates to my application that aren't fully manual. I would have to deploy from my own cloud. I would have to send the update. I would have to come up with the communication line, essentially. Yeah, and then the security issues around that, managing the servers, managing the cost of hosting. Yeah. I mean, it's a freaking can of worms. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, in these businesses where the cost of creating the product and supporting it are so important, you can't just say, well, just put GMS on it. It will be fine. There are very concrete costs and complications you're introducing there that could not necessarily, I wouldn't want to say scuttle a product, but that could really, you know, increase the difficulty of launching it at all. Right. And in many cases you're paying for either in technical, like, you know, debt or in terms of actual money, you're paying for features that you're just never going to probably Yeah, I mean, it comes use. with a lot of baggage. Like, I mean, I'm thinking it of does. that talky walkie thing and you're like, uh, no, there's not even barely a display there. There's so much stuff you don't even need, right? Right. And the reason Google does this though, and they have really good reasons for this, is they want to keep that smartphone ecosystem from fragmenting too much. And they also want to make sure the same is true of wearables in tablets and televisions and soon to be cars, which is yeah. all really good. But these are consumer facing devices and they're meant to run any number of applications at any one moment. So they're just totally different. Whereas like these other devices we're talking about, like a point of sale, it runs the same app all day. There is, you don't yep. even have to worry about a home screen because it's never going there. It's, yeah. it's just running this application all day. And so the needs are different for one. And for another thing, you know, the way these devices evolve, which, you know, Miriam, you're probably familiar is like from Kosu, really that concept of embedded computer. These corporate owned single use devices uh-huh. where you think about it as like you are buying a computer in the way somebody buys a washing machine. It is That's a right. durable asset. Yeah, yeah yes. totally. But that's totally changing now because everything's getting served via the internet or some level of internet connectivity and personalization and a whole host of other factors, sensor data, machine learning, algorithms that defining, looking at your assets that way, like your point of sale, your cash register as that fixed washing machine is probably not a good business strategy. No, it doesn't make sense anymore. No, you want to be able to update it. You want to be able to evolve it. Well, the other thing you end up running into though, is because you're working with this culture of like, you know, embedded computing assets. A lot of times people are very afraid of updating these systems. Well, yeah, they're mission critical. Like for a business, Exactly. Dollars, you you work. Assuming it's not open twenty four hours, you fire it up in the morning. It better be working and online, because otherwise you don't get your ice cream. Remember the ice cream fiasco in McDonald's? Oh yes, yes, <laughs> the McFlurry fiasco. Uh-huh. So I, I that is you know that's the phrase we use, and I love that you bring it up. Mission critical is exactly how we describe all of our customers. If their devices were to stop working 
a core part of their business doesn't work. So in the case of point of sale, you can't collect money. Um, Which is probably <laughs> the biggest thing you need to do. Right. It's the most mission critical. In the case <laughs> of Climber, you can't exercise on your exercise machine. Like this is like a big problem. Like, for example, if you were to have that exercise machine in a gym and then you're like, OK, well, I can't actually deliver the value I'm promising to my customer. Um, but I don't want to get too corporate with it. Uh, but to say, like, there's obviously a demand for these devices out there for these. And AOSP yeah. is the platform people have chosen because it is super technically robust out of the box. It's very adaptable, has a wonderful, wonderful wireless connectivity stack that Linux does not, um, quite uh, frankly. Yeah, I can say yeah. that again. <laughs> you, you have cellular modem, modem connectivity out of the box in Android. Like, could you imagine? So it's it's so fully featured. The developer ecosystem is so big. It's, it's hard. To, I mean, it is the largest developer ecosystem now, Android is. Right. Um, and so the thing that happens, though, is that because you have all these cost concerns and because Android ends up being chosen as like, well, it's the best, it's also the minimum viable product in a lot of respects for a lot of these companies, and they're just yeah. trying to get something out there. Well, corners start getting cut. One of the biggest corners is that you end up buying a system. Let's say you're a restaurant and you have a 1,000 stores and you want to buy 5,000 points of sale. Um, well, you might go to your vendor and they might have an Android or AOSP based point of sale, but it might be running on like Android Oreo. Um, and the reason for that is they don't have any motivation to update it. It still works as designed initially five years ago or whatever, four years ago. And yeah. as far as they're concerned, A, we don't want to update it because that means we have to work with the silicon vendor um, to do that, which is probably not possible. You might just be running silicon so old that you just can't update <laughs> you can't it anymore. get updates. Very, yeah, yeah. very common. Um, you would be shocked. Or it could just be, well, this is an OEM that could you know, be out of business two years from now, and they just aren't interested in long-term support. And so all these companies then realize, well, my actual devices are not getting updates. Um, the technology that underpins them is oftentimes out of date itself. How do I solve this problem? Like, how do I start managing all of these things? Because I'm introducing like probably different versions of Android. And the solution they went for was the solution we use to manage corporate smartphones, basically, which is called MDM, mobile device management. Okay. And these systems were designed for like, you know, you go, you have like a work profile on a smartphone. Like, yeah. so the data is totally segregated. It lives in its own secure um, partition, essentially. Um, on Android or iOS so that you can still follow your corporation's data policies, essentially, is what that's all about. So these tools were designed to control those sorts of devices. Now, you could control them on a very deep level if it was actually a corporate-owned smartphone and you were, like, for example, giving it to a high-level executive, and that is their phone for, like, calling the board. Like, you know, <laughs> it is something you want to lock down. Right, <laughs> exactly. Um, but these tools were designed for these multitask you know, end user kind of general purpose computing devices. They weren't designed to update them. They weren't designed to deliver software to them because why would you? Like that's right. that already exists. It's called the Google Play Store. It's called the iOS App Store um, for Windows. You know, I mean, there obviously is the Windows Store, but all of these things fall under MDM. It could be a laptop. It could be a tablet. It could be a phone. And these MDM tools, well, they stepped up to start managing these dedicated systems. And we call these dedicated devices. Kosu, dedicated device, Unitasker, you know, any of these things I've named, the Ciata handset, the Climber machine, they're all dedicated devices. They do that one thing all day, every day. 
But these MDM tools for managing these devices, you might be able to pull all these devices into a console or something, and you can see them all, but in terms of what you can actually accomplish and the reliability of that system, it's not going to make you confident in your ability right. to do any of right. those things. Like, for example, let's say you have a point of sale and you run a restaurant and you want to update it seasonally just to update like placement of menu items because you know it's yeah. going to make your your checkout folks faster if you shortcut like the things that are popular seasonally. You have the data. You can do this. Like you can make this decision probably with a high degree of confidence. But actually getting that software to all 5000 of those point of sale terminals is shockingly difficult. Uh, in most of corporate America, you would think that, you know, with the internet being everywhere, this would be a solved problem. It is not by any stretch of the imagination. No, I know. I can imagine. I mean, some companies, you know, don't even connect these devices to the internet as right. we know it, right? Yeah. And I mean, we only deal with internet connected stuff. If it doesn't talk to the internet, we're not interested in it. But realistically, like, even these internet connected devices, devices that have probably been connected to the internet for well over a decade at this point, like point of sale, you know, they've all been on like the internet for ages now, right. but nobody wants to update them because, because of two basic reasons. Number one, they're afraid they're going to break something. And if they do break something, that probably means a human being has to go somewhere to fix it. And that is the worst case scenario. If you're in IT, if you're in operations, um, you just don't want to <laughs> get in that situation. Now imagine that it broke something, but it broke it in a highly distributed way across oh. an entire country. <laughs> And you're like, okay, I need to get every regional manager and I need to figure out like a strategy around how to fix this. Now, that is a breakage situation. Even in a planned deployment, you might still be sending people to stores to do things because you might say, well, this store based on our data is very unreliable. Like their, their, their hours aren't as like, you know, they're not open as much, or maybe the internet connectivity situation is very bad and they, it's not stable enough to get the update there. But even sending the update in the first place, the best you usually get with these quote MDM solutions is a big red button that says, send this Deploy. software, right? Exactly. <laughs> and then you just kind of click. <laughs> There's no feedback. The ability to observe what's happening is essentially non-existent. And you, like, you honestly, most of the time, have no way of knowing if you succeeded until somebody somewhere says, I either got it or I didn't. And you still have to have somebody saying that. So this is the problem we solve really well. Which yeah, this is, is what Esper does. Basically, where Esper steps in is when companies start to realize, wow, it's really hard to deploy software to these devices. It's really hard to consistently manage them. And also, I have no idea what version of software I'm running or what that means in terms of a device's capabilities. We really step in there and can change the game completely um, because we are designed to be a single pane of glass to manage these devices update them, including um, for devices that run our own distribution of AOSP called Foundation, we can provide them security patches and OS upgrades. We can even run our operating system on x86 Intel platforms, which Ooh. is a really cool thing. We're the only we ones- We should talk about that sometime. I think we will. Another show. <laughs> um, but I, I want to ask you something. So does that mean that say I have a point of sale, I have an op running, um, and you guys are managing it with your awesome platform. Can I do that change from the seasonal, but without actually having to deploy an entire new APK? Like, can I go, do you have an ability to update the settings for that app so that the next time it starts up, 
it's got new, um, you know, because you don't want to just ship a new APK for that. Like, you know what I'm saying? That's probably a config file somewhere that shows the layout of the menu. Why not just change the config file and not change the APK, which would be silly. That's what I wanted to talk about. We can do that. So um, one of the ways we do that, um, you know, you're probably familiar with JSON. Um, JSON mm -hmm. is the standard configuration format for everything in Android, yeah, essentially. Exactly. Yeah. So through our management platform, you can literally go in there and say, I want this app to deploy on this subset of devices, whatever you've defined it as based on region, um, based on what kind of device, OS version. And you can say, I want to attach this JSON configuration file. Um, to this deployment. Now, if you didn't change the APK, but you did change the JSON file, bam, that JSON file is going to get updated. We're going to push it. And the next time that app starts, which you will have to restart the app, of course, when the configuration file gets changed. Otherwise, I think you'd have some issues. But once it restarts, you've got the new configuration there. You didn't have to deploy this 50 megabyte app update. Now, many customers are fine doing that, but it just goes to show like that flexibility, you would never get that with an MDM. You can't even do that with Google. Um, that's not no. something the Play Store can do because no, I don't think it changed settings. No. no, giving developers that kind of power would probably be problematic in a lot of ways for end yep. users on something like a smartphone. And that's really, I think, the the message I hope that you know everybody who who's listening would take away here is that when you're talking about the kind of devices we are, Android and what you need it to do and what you're trying to accomplish are so different, and all of these concerns you might have in the consumer smartphone kind of situation, a lot of them just go away in this dedicated device world. I mean, can you imagine a world in which your phone manufacturer could remote into your device at any time and share the screen and control it? No, of course not. <laughs> and they shouldn't have that power. Why right? would they? But if you are a corporation and you own a cash register and you need to get in there and see what's going on with it because it's not behaving, you just need to be able to do that with a click. And we yeah. we offer that. So yeah. it just goes to show, I, I think, that the philosophy and the way you approach things is so different. You need a partner who actually understands, okay, here's how we use Android the right way to accomplish what it is you want to do. And that's right. what Esper is here for, whether you just want it on the management side and software deployment, or if you want to go much deeper um, and actually start using our distro, our operating system to add even more features, more configurability, more security to your systems. And if you're curious about that, we're at esper.io and, you know, you can book a demo with us. Our sales team is happy to talk with anyone and everyone. So, uh, you know, and honestly, if you're just intrigued, if you're personally intrigued, reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at RDRV3. I will chat your ear off about dedicated <laughs> devices and AOSP. It's become my favorite thing. <laughs> no, I think honestly, I've been fascinated, but you and I have had conversations kind of side channeling around this stuff. And I'm, I'm just really into it because I just feel like it's just like this hidden universe that we are all touching every day. But yeah. That does so much important stuff. Very much. And so. I know that my audience is a bunch of nerds who will get into this. Not only that, but I also, hopefully somebody's listening that has a problem to solve and you might be able to solve it with Esper. So there you go. Two birds, one stone. So yeah, thanks, David, for being on the show yet again, and this time in a different way. Uh, hopefully we'll talk again about Esper in the context of that x86 stuff you had mentioned, because I think that's really, really cool. I'm very excited about that. And as a teaser, I'm pretty sure I will have a video we can play of us taking a Windows cash register and turning it over to Android, essentially, no hands. 
like a Pentium 100 MMX <laughs> or something from 1998. I think the instruction set might have changed a little too much on that one. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, David. And folks, we're going to continue with Lance. So, Lance, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for joining the madness that is my show. Um, so, hey, you know, we've got a bunch of topics that I want to kind of pick your brain about. Some of it, the stuff you recently wrote on Tech Radar, actually. Because, you know, like there's a lot of stuff we cover that is news and reviews and we kind of get down into the facts of like this phone and that phone. Right. But I love your opinion pieces. And I'm not just saying that because you're my editor-in-chief. I just want to clear that <laughs> out for everybody out there. I don't actually work with Lance very much, folks, directly anyway. So I just feel like, you know, like that, that nothing one phone uh, story you wrote was really interesting. And also your story on the uh, Apple Pro, you know, Pro branding. Right. So I want to touch on that. And then we got some uh, news for the week, stuff that is from China, stuff that is more local. I just want to go through it all with you. So tell me a little bit, what was your feeling, your initial gut kind of vibe when you heard all this 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 weird weird presentation we got from Cape about the the phone one. I think anybody who's been in this industry long enough uh, has an aversion to hype, right? We 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 we've all occasionally been caught up in it, uh, but we're all you know the term vaporware is not something I made up. It's been around for a long time, and and look, he's already you know Cape is already poking us with the name, right? Nothing. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's like, ah, it's nothing, but it's something. Well, no, it's not something until it is something. And mm-hmm. we have, you know, so he holds this event, which people seemed okay with the fact that he wasn't going to show anything, even though I think they, in their heart, felt that maybe he would finally reveal this phone, this exciting yeah, phone. Yeah, I think we all kind of hoped there'd be a little more than what he gave us, right? Yeah, I think that's what people thought. Also, because there'd been that leak uh, maybe a week earlier where he'd been spotted somewhere and he was holding something in his hands and they're like, that's the phone, even though... Oh, is that MWC? You know, I had Don McGuire on my show not long ago from Qualcomm. He said, that was my feet. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah. I was in that photo, but it was... It- you know, it, it didn't even look like a phone what he was holding, but fine. They, you know, there's this idea of a transparent phone. Here's the problem. You know, what Carl Pay has to deliver has to be extraordinary in order yeah. to, to, one live up to the promises and to capture the imagination of consumers who basically understand what they want in a phone now. And why are all phones becoming alike? Because the, 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 the set of features and utilities uh, and tools and cameras that we want and the size of the screen, it's all sort of known. And we've, we've come to this place where, yes, a lot of these phones look the same. And maybe that's a little boring. But they work, and they work really well. Exactly, I mean, and, and they set expectations for us. Like, right. if you use a device like that doesn't have those things, you will notice immediately. Of course, or if they don't, you know, there's a level, right? There's a benchmark for how these phones are supposed to perform. You better yep. meet that benchmark, and then possibly go above it. But the understanding with consumers is that if they don't spend as much money, they'll get sort of a certain level of performance. Even though they'll get the the way things should be, but they maybe won't have as powerful a processor. They'll have a you know a twelve megapixel camera, or, or you know, or ten megapixel instead of a fifty megapixel. Like they'll they get the trade offs. But here's Carl Pay, who worked for OnePlus, right? Helped. Basically, was one of the founders of OnePlus, yep, yep. which is, by the way, one of my favorite 
phone companies, especially before the most recent phones, <laughs> yes. because they were always doing something unique, interesting before other people, you know, didn't always work, but they took some big swings. The pop-up camera, you know, that was, that was crazy. Yeah, oh, absolutely. You know, we're actually going to talk about some news items that I think kind of have me excited again a little bit. Also, I think I will link to your article about the OnePlus 10 Pro Lite painting that you did. Um, we're not going to dive into that because there's a bunch of phones in the past that right. support it. But it's really cool that a lot of people don't know that you can do that. Right. And it's, and you know, to be fair, you know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, if you can, some of the other cameras out there make long exposure a little bit harder than that. But oh, going yeah. back to what nothing is doing here, which is nothing, <laughs> you know, what is going to be the thing? It's not ready. We are not ready technically. The, the technology is not ready for a fully transparent phone. And no. especially one of the things I pointed out in the story is that one of the big fundamental blocks here is the battery, right? Yeah, you know, for sure. Open up a phone. You can't open up an iPhone too easily, but you can open up many Android phones, at least previous ones. The biggest thing in there is this battery that yeah. covers one third to half of the back, right? Because we've got 500 milliampere amp batteries, and so they yeah. need a lot of space. So he's got to deliver a battery that's at least 4,500 or above. It's got to take up a lot of space. So what's the point of a so-called transparent phone? So much of this bothers me because it doesn't make sense. But I am somebody who is a slave to innovation. Show me something spectacular and you will turn me around. I yeah. just don't believe that's what's going to happen here. I think my gut feeling on this, having played with the earbuds, which are, by the way, on my desk here, very dusty now because I haven't used them in a while. <laughs> Oops. But I'll show you to the audience because we have patrons watching this on Patreon right now, the video version of the podcast. Folks, if you want the video version, patreon.com slash TNKGRL comes out a little earlier and you get the kind of more like less edited, more personal <laughs> aspect of the show. But I feel like you look at these and how they're made and it's not about the transparency. It's more about, you know, the components are all there. They take up all the space they expect to take. And it's more like you have a hint of transparency implied by the fact that not every tiny bit of space is, is used up. And I think just the fact that the acrylic shell exists itself gives it a transparent kind of depth to it, right? And I think that if they can deliver that, I think it'll be good enough. You know, kind mm. of like what uh, Red Magic has done on their gaming phones, where they have a transparent back on some devices. It's glass, but you can see that there's basically a sticker applied below it, right? And the sticker implies circuitry and it's fake, but I'm not sure if they'll do fake because on the earbuds, it's not fake. You can clearly right. see the circuit board has been painted black at the factory. The, the thing that I think is the most of an achievement on here is that there's no glue seams of any kind. Like if they use some kind of glue to put this together, there it's not visible. And I think that's what I think is going to be interesting about this OnePlus phone. I think I'm expecting just a normal phone with some transparent mm -hmm. hints, but no way of clearly seeing how you can open it great i think is yeah right <laughs> i fix it i fix it to me like this is terrible <laughs> no my fix is gonna go to zero or one or something but i think the the thing is that's kind of what i expect but what i'm more taken aback and honestly i just expect to be like one plus nord i expect like a mid-range you know the one we didn't get in yeah, the yeah, us yeah. not the 
watered down N series. I think we're going to get something like, like a $500-ish pseudo flagship that's very competitive, has all the right ingredients, and because it's made of plastic, in inherently, because it's transparent, I think they can do some cost-cutting there, although the manufacturing is a challenge, but if they can nail that, and clearly they did with the earbuds. But what really tweaked me about that thing is like, we want to create an ecosystem and compete with Apple, and I'm like, no, no, that's never going to happen. I don't care what you do, Kyle. I love you. You're doing great stuff. I've talked to you in person many times. I've told you when you made mistakes. <clears throat> no <laughs> NFC on the OnePlus 2. Hello. God, me and uh, uh, Andrew Martinick took him, you know, to the cleaners on that one. We're like, you, how cute, how dare you? You know, he's like, I didn't realize NFC was such a big deal in the US. Well, you know, this is way before, this is a decade Damn. ago. But but now he got it after that. We never lacked NFC on any flagship OnePlus phone. You know, I, I, I just got to say, as somebody who's into watches and knows that occasionally you will find a watch with a transparent background, that there's a very good reason for having transparency on something when you can show people something that is beautiful. Yeah. What about the inside of a phone is it's beautiful. Not beautiful. Like I don't, that's why I don't get it. But I do think your point about um, uh, saving money, you know, creating a much more affordable device because you're not spending a lot of money on expensive materials and machining, you know, maybe it's almost like poured or something and it's, it just has a slot and everything slides in and clamps. Uh, yeah. That could be an innovation. And if it's, here's the thing. $500 is not the innovation. Give me a $99 5G phone. Yes. And suddenly everything changes. That yes. is a game changer. But I, I feel like... He's not going there. He's not going there. Right. No, because he's, he's a technologist like you and me. He has a standard set of expectations. <laughs> and I think he understands that the people who follow him are the X1 Plus early adopters and sex-savvy folks. To a great extent, and they are expecting a certain thing. And remember, India, right? We have to not forget. And and this is the thing. My podcast. The reason we're going to cover some Chinese phones today is because my podcast has an audience in India and in Australia <laughs> and in English-speaking parts of Asia, like the Philippines and and you know Hong Kong, etc. And I cover the Chinese phones extensively and the Indian phones extensively because. They bring so much value to the table. And this is another market that I know for sure. This is not a phone made for you and me, Lance. It's not made for the US. It's not made for even Europe, even though they're based in London. Mm -hmm. And you know, he has teenage engineering from Sweden involved. It's a phone made for those markets. It's, it's going to be made for that Indian market, which is super spec sensitive and price sensitive. And that's actually reassuring to me because, you know, we're hearing rumors of a OnePlus Nord N25G, which we'll discuss later. And I think that phone is going to be great for the US, but it's going to be a joke compared price wise and spec wise to what I'm getting when I look at Xiaomi phones or Realme phones that, I, that right. are coming into my desk, you know? Right, so, right. I mean, it, 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 I, I think that that's a really important part of the conversation is which market you're going after because it is different. And, you know, the, the perspective in the U S is very iPhone centric um, and, and Samsung, oh, and but, Samsung. <laughs> but it's Samsung, it's iPhone, it's Samsung. And then all the other stuff is just kind of barely on the radar. One plus yeah. uh, has designs on becoming much more prominent here in the U S but 
Google as well is finally Google, maybe yes. making and a dent with the six. I year? think they, I think they are, um, but I feel like they're still. It's weird because Google seems to be a little bit lost about the pixel identity. I think that there's a little they bit more focus are. now. Yeah, I know, I know, and they've made so many sort of left turn, right turn, left turn, right turn. I, I do think that with this this six that they're it's starting to get some refinement. I'm not a big fan of the design. I don't. I think you know they went bold. But in it's a, unique, and you can see it. I saw one in New York City. Yes. Yesterday, I was in town yes. for just a night, and I was like, "Oh, look at that! A Pixel Six in the wall." I wasn't the Six Pro. I could tell them apart because I'm a nerd. But like, you look at an Oppo or OnePlus yeah. today from a distance. You have to really get a little closer. And it's difficult. It's a. It's an excellent mm -hmm. point. Excellent point, Marion. Because really, what's happening here is Google identified that one of the ways to make a mark is to differentiate yourself from the pack. And that is super hard unless you do something, a, a bigger swing on the design side. So I don't like the band. I don't like how it looks. But I think you're 100% right that at least from even a distance, if somebody has that phone, you're, you're like, oh, that's the pixel. Huh. And that's so important because people once every 24 to 12 to 24 months are in that upgrade cycle. They're looking and they do tend to go from iPhone to iPhone. but sometimes. They start to take a bigger look, and if they're on the Android side, there it's all everything's open to them. But at the Absolutely. same time, they're generally going to Samsung, maybe Google, but then the other brands you talked about just don't play here. It, it, well, I mean, okay, that's the other thing, right? We don't even get those, right? Like, it's no point in saying how Xiaomi phones and Redmi, which is their sub brand, and Poco are similar looking from a distance when you can't even get them. I no. mean, you can, but nobody's going to get them. No, nobody's so, going to get them. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think the interesting thing you brought up here to me is is that design matters. And I think that's what, when my OnePlus 10 Pro review for hot hardware, I said, you know, this is a design that, that stands out. Like, I like it because it gives OnePlus finally a unique identity. There you yeah. go. Yeah. And, and I feel, and I love that case, by the way. I, I know. As well. <laughs> I even took a photo in the case from my review because I thought that case was so dope. But, um, you know, in the past, like the opification of OnePlus is way older than people think. Like having had the Oppo phone side by side with the OnePlus phones for the last two, three years, I can tell you like there are some previous OnePlus phones where you would swear they were. And they actually, if you look at the specs, they're rebranded Oppos oftentimes and vice versa, right? Right, right. And this upcoming one that we're hearing that we're going to discuss is also, it looks like a rebranded, uh, either a Realme or, or an Oppo. And, and that's one of the reasons I dinged the N10 5G last year, is that the N10 5G was blatantly an Oppo phone in its design and its specs. Now, it didn't matter in North America, but right. for those of us who knew, we were like, come on, like, are you serious? Like, this is <laughs> cheap and dirty. And also, it wasn't really... Um, aesthetically very pleasing but they heard us and this is what i like about oneplus they heard us and the n200 5g last year really stood out i mean it still fit in the oppo zeitgeist of design but it did have that oneplusness it had that you could see it and say oh this is that affordable t-mobile oneplus phone that's really great you know yeah. what i'm saying yeah and, I, and I, I gotta give them kudos for like listening at least they you know? listen to some things but then I just asked them last week, I said, why did you remove macro photography? 
It's like, well, nobody cared about it. I tell it. you why, because the 150 degree lens does not support the ability to make an autofocus mechanism because of Z-depth. It's just physics. Like I ding them on that too. Like I know that on one hand, yes, it's nice to have this 150 degree lens, yeah. but the sensor they had to put under there is a lesser sensor than last year's IMX 766 on the 9 and 9 Pro. And because of that, you lose autofocus. And so it's either you get the 150 degree and you know you get this great opportunity to do fisheye and stuff, or you get the macro and you get a better low light sensor. And they chose one thing. Yeah. And I think that uh, that was to me a mistake. It's also weird me because too. 150 is not uh, enabled by default. No, so that's you start irony. with 120 <laughs> and a lot of users are never going to see the 150 because they don't go into settings. It's buried in the menus. I know. I know. And I know. It's like, it doesn't make sense. And I always, you know, this, I wrote a story recently about macro photography on, on, iPhone because they just did this awards thing. And, oh, right. and I, I talked about how, you know, the first place I had smartphone macro photography was on a OnePlus and now it's yeah. gone. And yeah. I thought for me, that was a differentiator. Why give up something that is, you know, part of your DNA, but they just kind of discarded it. It was like in favor of what? Somebody said that it would be cool to do fisheye photography. Fisheye photography is useful exactly how often so I think if you Get zoom it. back, Lance, it's actually very, very interesting. There are three phones right now. Well, let's let's say, let's say there are four phones that are relevant in this conversation. There's five. Oh boy, it's growing. Okay, OnePlus Ten Pro, OnePlus Nine Pro previously, Oppo Find X Five Pro, which is the current flagship from Oppo, and Oppo Find X Three Pro last year. And then the fifth phone in this story is the Realme GT Two Pro. All these are flagships. Two of them are last year's. Realme's current flagship, get this, is got the microscope lens from the Oppo Find X3 Pro last year, the crazy 20 magnification and digital zoom 40 magnification microscope, which is great. A lot of people had a lot of fun with that lens yeah, last year. And that was on the Oppo Find X3 Pro, which was a very expensive flagship from Oppo last year. Then you have the Realme has the 150 degree ultra wide that we found in the OnePlus 10 Pro. And then the main sensors on all of these phones, except the OnePluses, are the I and the ultra wides on the 9 series of OnePlus are the excellent IMX766 sensor from Sony. So what I'm trying to get to is it's a part spinning exercise. Yeah. They have these bins with the <laughs> microscope lens, the 150 degree lens, the IMX 766 ultra wide, and the IMX 766 main. And then for the 9, 9 Pro, 10 Pro, they have that very bespoke IMX 789 sensor, which is a really, really nice sensor. And they just pick and choose and they make phones out of that. And it's literally what we got. It's like somebody that's like puppeteering at Oppo Realme <laughs> OnePlus was like, hmm, I think uh, the the OnePlus gets the 150 degrees this year. And I don't understand why. I just know that Xiaomi is like that. Like they literally have these part spins and they pick like their screens and their, you know, their like cameras and their, even the chassis sometimes have the power lock key the SIM slot and the volume rocker in the same place. It's insane. But, but you know what? It streamlines the operation. Right? Exactly. And that's what they became very known for. Right. You know, like some phones are literally the same across two brands because they're sold in different markets, Philippines versus India. And they have different branding expectations because those are the brands they're more familiar with. But Xiaomi is like, well, this phone has the specs that both markets need. So we're just going to like, 
give a different back panel, different color job, and slightly different software, and they're going to be exactly the same specs on paper. I mean, obviously, this goes back to the region discussion that they have to be sort of choosing those parts from these bins based on markets, right? Based on what they think is going to work best in some markets. You know, 100%. The, you know, that, that calculation they made on going to 150 uh, degree uh, ultra wide and removing and, and giving up macro uh, definitely seems to be in part that at least in the US, they didn't find a lot of people really into macro photography, but everybody's trying to get everyone into the shot. You know, there's more of that. So... Maybe it's a better story. I mean, it could also just be that they thought this would be a cool feature for this audience, right? Like, and by putting that feature in, they knew they couldn't do autofocus. And they're like, well, we gain some, you lose some. And, you know, I'm not quite sure that it's like Tesla who, you know, when they had supply chain issues, removed the lumbar support on the Model 3 on the passenger side to save a bit of money. Um, because that way they now had double the amount of lumbar support for the driver's side. And it made sense. You know, we didn't like it as Tesla people, but it made sense. At the same time, you know, Elon, when asked, said, well, we, we did look at the stats. Very few people use the lumbar on the passenger side, and we had to do something because we were low on supply. So we did that. I don't think OnePlus is looking at those numbers. I'm, I'm not sure. Like, they might have access to some data around that. But if they, this is more like, this is a cool feature. What do we give the North American market they haven't seen before? And Lance, to be honest, we would have nailed OnePlus as reviewers if they had delivered the Sony IMX 766 ultra wide with the autofocus. Because then, listen, they would have delivered the exact same camera system as last year on the 9 Pro. Right. Exact same. Like right. to the actual like microscopic level, exact yeah. same. And then, you know, you know, somebody would have been cranky about that. So they're like, okay, let's do something. You know, it's funny it, it, how much, how much of the work they do is catering to us and, and, and how much of it is, you know, consumers who couldn't care less. I mean, we have consumers walking around. I'll give you one quick example. There was an incredible rainbow in New York City just last week. I mean, just a, a top 10, like you've never seen before. Mm -hmm. You could see the beginning and the end of it. My son driving on a train caught it with his iPhone 8 and they were great pictures. And then I saw online, there was somebody who tweeted, the best camera you have is the one that's in your pocket. And they had taken the shot with an iPhone 6. Yeah. And then I thought, they're still walking around with an iPhone 6? But that's because one, consumers are, you know, they don't always have the money for a new phone. And they're like, some don't this care. camera seems good enough. <laughs> yeah, some don't care. Like, I know that some don't care. I see it all the time. You know, it's just, we live in a bubble in a way, right? Yeah. <laughs> but true. at the same time, you're right. Us media are like, and I see that in car world, you know, as, as the audience knows, I do a lot of the car reviews for the US for Tick Radar. And I talk to the other journalists and it's the same thing. We're like, well, we want this. And then the manufacturer's like, well, the, we, you know, we're just going to be accommodating 10 people. Right. And they're kind of <laughs> right. Like it's, it's true. Right. Well, so, I, I, <laughs> I just wrote an article about how I really, really want on the iPhone 14. I want this periscope zoom, you know, well, like that, that needs to happen. They're so behind on that. Yeah, but it does. It does. It is my number one thing because I'm such a nut about getting close to stuff. And I lost my mind with the Samsung Galaxy S22 Ultra because it's so it's good. The t it's not just the 10, you know, because what I was saying is that you've got the 10x optical zoom and that's incredible. They use the periscope, but then you put on top of that the algorithms to go to the 30x space and the 100x space. And the only way that's possible is if you have the foundation of the 10x optical zoom. So 
where is Apple in this? And we have this tiny little hint that maybe they're getting closer, but I'm desperate for that. You're not going to get two telephotos from Apple. What I see happening, and and also I'm not sure they'll go for a folded lens right away. I see them putting like they went to a three X zoom on the Yay. on the 13 Pro, I right? Know. Pro Max. But there's a big gap if you go five X. Um, periscope or 4x periscope now on the pixel that's addressed by super res zoom which there's you know sub pixel interpolation based mm. on the motion of your hand which is very smart which by the way samsung's doing as well and others yeah, are doing good now job too. of it um i don't know if apple has it but they could easily implement it i mean they have the the oomph the money the people to do it the big question is if they do that they need to go to a large megapixel pixel bin sensor and that's the other thing that we think is going to happen so i could see them doing to like a a 48 50 64 108 megapixel sensor it's 100 percent time for them to do it i can't believe they haven't and then a 5x or 4x folded lens but here's the thing right they could also do this they could do a 3x folded lens if the large sensor underneath it, like the reason the normally the five, the photo lenses start at five X, if you have normal size, non bin sensors, because again, the Z depth, right? So they mm-hmm. fold it and it works. Yes. But on a three X telephoto, usually if your sensor is 12, 10, eight megapixel, normal pixel mm-hmm. size is like 1.12 microns, 1.2, 1.4, even microns. You can do a, you know, normal telephoto lens but on the pixel the reason it's a 4x folded which is unusual right it's because it's a 48 megapixel sensor under there so now they couldn't do z-depth wise a non-folded setup for that but i think that's what we want we don't want to jump to like a large magnification optically because then you're gonna get that middle all the portraits and stuff things that really require high quality photo you know photos a loss in the middle somewhere, right? Uh, a 12, you know, they do. if you zoom 2x on the iPhone right now, it's a little crunchy because you're not quite at the telephoto yet, but you're also on a 12 megapixel sensor. A good one, but you're, you're losing some data. Right. I mean, they, they have, look, they have the best image interpolation of really anybody in the business. They've, they've innovated a lot in those areas. A lot of people have followed behind them, but for some reason... They've been on an incremental path for like five years. And the it is if they don't do it with the 14, then the iPhone 15, which of course, you know, would go with the number 15, you know, like so <laughs> they could do something that does in fact really change the camera array. You can't just keep making the lenses bigger and starting switching around your your stovetop shape. You know, that's not going to be enough. We expect more from them. And I and they will have been able to learn so much from everybody who's come before them who has been doing this, who has already you know up their megapixels and is working with binning and is and is folding their lenses. And Apple, in typical Apple fashion, always looks at that and goes, Great. Now, how do we go the next level? And suddenly they're leading and everybody else is chasing. It's yeah. time for Apple to do it. I can't believe that that I'm saying that that we're sitting here and they haven't, but within this year or the next it's got to happen it is and it is a real estate hog to do a folded lens in terms of you know space it inside is the phone. it is uh, but it does bring some other advantages that a lot of people don't realize is because it's a prism setup 
or mm-hmm. the the mirroring of the the path of the optical path that those prisms can be mounted on micro magnets and become used for optical image stabilization so you no longer right. you actually have more sophisticated options for your image stabilization like optical stabilization well, than you the, do right. on a regular lens and that's kind of another thing that I think uh, Apple innovated and Oppo just followed suit with the Find X5 Pro is in-body stabilization, where the sensor itself moves. Yes. Um, Oppo went one level further by doing combining in-body stabilization with the lens. So the lens mm-hmm. and the sensor can both move, which gives them an opportunity to keep lens aberrations to a minimum, which I think is incredible. And you can actually see the result of it. It's it's one of the best camera systems for the main sensor of any camera today right now on the market. And notice that nobody else has that. Like Oppo kept that for the Find X5 Pro. They're not part spinning that system to the, any other um, you know, BBK group device. Now, Vivo, which is another BBK group company, but it's a little bit more off to the side doing its own thing, has been doing some pretty crazy gimbal-based stabilization where the entire camera system in the phone is mounted on a gimbal and That's suspended so there. And it <laughs> works. Holy tell you, especially for video. It's really I just good. Lo- I, I mean, isn't it crazy what people can now fit inside of these <laughs> devices? You're just like, they just, there's, there's no end to it. They just, they... No, it's, it's like incredible. Any mechanical device that you could see in the real world and maybe hold in your hand can be shrunk down to the micron size and shoved inside a phone. Um, I was going to say, by the way, that I think it's Jawa is uh, the name. J-A-H-W-A is the company that makes some of the modules that you're talking about, which include uh, autofocus and optical image stabilization. That's right. That's those that part manufacturer is likely the one that Apple might be working with to finally get periscope style technology but there's in the rumor is just because it's obviously just a rumor they met with apple gave them a grand tour but then separately the company said we're spending like 191 won billion won on a new production facility to build some new device but obviously no details on it so right, we're right. we decided to connect the dots on that but you know that's the thing you can if you can think it they can do it uh, and I look to Apple to sort of innovate in that area. But obviously, the, the reality is, I mean, you know this better than most, that so much of the oddball and interesting and pushing the limits innovation has come on the Android side from these guys who don't have I know. His- and it's like, I hate the fact that people go on <laughs> and on about Apple. I'm like, guys, like what Vivo's doing right now is cutting edge. That's pretty like, crazy. That is crazy. Cutting edge. It, and they're on the third generation. This is three years of them doing this that- now. I know we were supposed to talk about that, and I was looking at that technology because the the fold, what's so interesting to me about folding technology, folding screens, is that in my head, I was like, well, you know, yeah, it's a flexible display, but it's, you know, you can never quite get like that smoothness. And when I saw Samsung's first effort, I was like, yeah, you see, you can't do it. And they tried really hard and then they made a terrible hinge the first time out and they had to fix it (laughs) and literally create a sweeping system inside a hinge to fix it. That's what they did. Craziest thing ever. But I was looking at what Vivo did and that whole sort of mechanical where the the center is sort of floating and then comes up, up and creates yeah. this perfect yeah. 
plane. I've not. Maybe you've seen it in person. I have no, not. No, I haven't seen that. Even uh, Oppo's Fine N, which is essentially, you know, the same parent company, uh, mm-hmm. which is a fantastic phone, by the way. It's it's much smaller than uh, a Z Fold 3. So you know, when it's closed, it's the size of an iPhone 13 mini. And you open it up Sweet. and it gives you <laughs> a much more real estate than not a huge amount more than a large, like almost seven inch normal non-folding phone. Um, in case you're wondering, folks, we were talking about the uh, Vivo X Fold, which is the folding phone that was rumored, we talked about last week as a rumor, is now officially being revealed. And the thing is, the hinge is very unique and the camera system is, is you know, again, Vivo's best and it's, um, you know, got like a folded periscope lens. And I don't know if it has the gimbal on this one, but it definitely has the Zeiss optics, um, which are T-star coded and stuff. But you know, the wild card for Apple for this folded lens, if they do one, is what Sony did with the Xperia 1 Mark III and the Xperia 5 Mark III. They did a folded lens that had two, like two zoom levels. So inside that mechanism, it could move it to what, like not continuously, but it could go right, one setting or another. Right, right. And so they basically did what Samsung does, but with mm-hmm. three openings instead of four, right? Because they went, one was a 2.2X and the other one was a 4.5X or something like that. And and it's it's a cool proof of concept. There is a drawback. The f-stops on those lenses are not in the same league as what Samsung's delivering with dedicated right. lenses. Right. And so, you know, you need a bigger sensor because of low light, blah, blah, blah. So I'm not sure Apple will compromise that way. Also, you know, moving parts, you have to worry about, uh, you know, Sony doesn't sell a lot of phones. If it breaks, it breaks. Whereas Apple, at their scale, they need to maintain, like, right. they need to make sure that stuff is reliable. I so. mean, it, yeah, it. The, one of the reasons they don't do things first sometimes is that they don't want to be in the sort of proof of concept phase. They want to be in the reliability phase. You know, when haptics started showing up on phones... You know, they didn't show up immediately on, on iPhones and other products that Apple made because, you know, they would just figure out how to make these tiny motors that could deliver those bumps, the 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 the, the response that you would feel. But they uh, refined it because they, they did it better did. than everyone else. That's right. And then everyone else is following suit now. Yeah, but that's, isn't that Apple's way? Totally is. It's, Absolutely. It's, it's what they do. Sit back, wait, let everybody make their mistakes, then really peel apart all the technology and go, yeah, we can definitely do this better. And that's how they do their bespoke. It's always bespoke. It's like they say, yeah, that's nice that you build that for all these other people. Now, here's how we'd like you to build it for us. And so it's always special yeah, it's to it's really them. interesting you bring up the vibration motor. It's such a simple thing. I don't know if your audience knows, but a vibration motor at its base, back in the days of pagers in the 90s, that's what Motorola invented, the vibration motor. And it's really just a tiny little cylindrical motor, a brushed DC motor, tiny, tiny one, with a counterweight mounted on the uh, on the shaft. And it has a stronger bearings because the counterweight is going to cause some stress on the on the thing. And then it rotates. And because the mass is counter uh, counterweight, it, just wobbles and the whole device that it's attached to firmly wobbles and you hear vibration, you feel vibration. So that's why you have that. But for the longest time, that was that. Then somebody said, hey, let's make a linear motor. A linear motor is a motor that instead of spinning moves, mm-hmm. you know, along an axis. And if you put springs at the ends of that linear motor, 
and you, you, you actuate the magnets that are surrounding it, you can get the mass that's attached to that motor to move in one direction. So now you have springs at the end. So imagine you move in one direction, then you move in the other direction, and all of a sudden you have a mass moving back and forth. And that's what the linear motor does, which is what we have in all of our modern flagships. Cheaper phones still use the rotational crappy motors. If you have a cheaper Android phone and it kind of feels a little crappy vibrating, that's because <laughs> you get the old motor. But most, I would say anything over $400 nowadays uses a linear motor. And so Android invented that. They did that. I don't know who it was, but they did that. And then Apple was like, wait a minute, you guys are completely missing the point here. Now that we have fine motor control because it's a linear motor and there's no brushes, essentially a brushless DC linear motor, we can very carefully with a controlled waveform control the magnets to get any kind of motion we want. So we can have like impulse responses that corresponds to tapping on a trackpad or giving you a little knock on your wrist, on your watch. <laughs> and that's how we got the Taptic Engine, what Apple called. And then everyone was like, wait a minute, we can do that too. There's no copyright on this. It's right. literally just <laughs> applying waveforms to a motor and then look at it where we are now. I, I think we're really nerding out, Lance. This is good. <laughs> this is exactly what this podcast but is But it's, it's so true. It's so fascinating because I literally remember a guy coming into my office and showing me an early like like an early product with haptic response in it and i was like i, I was fascinated because it was creating a feeling that didn't mm -hmm. actually exist and now we just take it all for granted we all just expect i mean the thing about haptics having a linear motor you can now create that weird buzz that you feel you don't it's not it's kind of more like a rough surface on the glass Mm -hmm. That is actually haptics on a linear. You cannot do that with a rotational motor at no. all. There's no control to that. But you can actually make it so that, you know, you know when sometimes you have a metal laptop and it's plugged into a non-grounded outlet and you sometimes feel that, that little bit of current that's going through the laptop because it's not grounded properly. All computers experience that. It's not dangerous. It's just called, it's just like stray current going through the thing. And it feels like when you're touching, it kind of feels like a tickle almost. <laughs> That can be replicated with a linear haptic motor, which is incredible, and which is what Apple does with some stuff that they're doing on their watches and their phones. And then the rest of the world has been like doing it too. Like I think OnePlus is a good example of really good linear motors on their phones. Yeah. Samsung, I think, went a little backwards with the S22 series because instead of mounting the motor uh, horizontally in the plane of the phone, they mounted it vertically for space reasons, but it makes feels different it feels different yeah that's going to kill some of the response by the way uh well thanks for joining us on haptic talk <laughs> yes welcome to haptic talk um so i i just want to kind of uh, go back to a couple of things so the first thing is for me you know wrapping up the, the nothing conversation i don't expect this to be more than essentially a oneplus nord kind of phone like mm -hmm. but with some really cool design and you're gonna get it some people are gonna love it if they can deliver this with a good android experience Kudos to them. Can they survive? No, I don't know, because look at Robin Nextbit, right? Remember that? Nextbit Robin? They also delivered a cool designed phone with some cool features, and they got bought by Razer, right? And then becomes the, the Razer phones after that. So I think to me, if CalPay is trying to sell the company, you know, good. That's that's. I think that's, that's going to work. But I think that if you folks think that nothing's going to stick around, be its own thing like OnePlus did, you have to understand OnePlus was part of BBK Group. It was huge. They had the runway, all the runway in the world to keep going. And here they are now. They've been reabsorbed into the mothership. They were right. let free for a while. They did their <laughs> thing and they're being pu pulled back. And 
I don't think this is going to happen with nothing because they're an independent company. So the only end game I see for them is they make a couple of great phones, a few more earbuds, maybe a watch and a smartwatch. And then they get bought by, you know, OnePlus or yeah, you know, yeah, whatever it like might that. be. That'll... And that's fine. But if you think we're going to see like that whole hype about Apple ecosystem, like none of that's going to happen. No. I mean, you can install your Tesla app and your <laughs> Apple Music app on your nothing phone and enjoy some integration with the Apple and Tesla ecosystem. But what are they going to do beyond that? Yeah. And, and ultimately, to succeed, you have to inspire consumers and you have to inspire them at scale. And that is how uh, phone companies win. That's how Apple won. That's how Samsung is winning. You, know, you, you have to turn on enough people who get excited by either some essence of the device, some specific feature. Uh, and I think that's going to be incredibly difficult to do. And an oddball design, semi-transparent design, is not the kind of inspiration that people are looking for. Uh, because it's going to be a kludge. It's not going to be like what we saw in sci-fi, you know, what we've seen on any number of sci-fi films and movies where they're literally holding what looks like a pane of glass that is also a yeah. phone. <laughs> because that's what we want. And if you deliver and that... it's coming. One day we'll get it. I'm sure it'll happen. I'm sure we will too, but it's not going to be... I mean, I don't want... Because that's a whole other path. I think about <laughs> it all the time because I'm always running into... You, know, you, you watch a show and there it is. And then my head starts spinning about the how. And what things have to be made transparent, and where the power source has to be, and how they can be unbreakable. Oh, I know. You're like you're the same as me. I do the same thing. It's crazy. Yeah, you can't help it. Yeah. So let's go through some news items so we can get out of the way and maybe have a few minutes spent on the Apple Pro discussion. Um, so quickly, you know, we talked about the uh, the the, uh, the Vivo phone. I just want to give you some specs, folks, so you have an idea what's going on. Snapdragon 8 Gen 1, of course. This has a dual 120 hertz refresh rate display. Interestingly, the front display is 21 by 9, which is a nice aspect ratio, like the Oppo Fine N... Hmm. And basically, but just bigger. This is more like the size yeah. of a Z Fold three, um, and I like that. It's a it's not a variable rate. I mean, it's a fixed, you know, sixty, ninety, one twenty hertz in the front, but the inside is a variable rate display, right. uh, one twenty hertz, of course, and it has cameras. Well, it has a Samsung GN five sensor, which is the biggest fifty megapixel sensor that Samsung makes, which is also, I think, the sensor on the Pixel six Pro. And on some older Vivo, it's one of the best low light sensors in the mm -hmm. world. It comes with f of 1.75, which is pretty good. And it has optical image stabilization. So there's no gimbal on this one, but hey, 48 megapixel ultra wide and a 12 megapixel portrait. They like to have a dedicated portrait lens as a 2X, generally not stabilized, but for portraits, it's really nice to right. have an exact kind of 50 millimeter equivalent on a phone that can just portray away all day long. Vivo's been doing this for a long time. And then, of course, of course, because, you know, that's not enough cameras yet. <laughs> we've got a an 8-megapixel 5X optical stabilized periscope telephoto, because, you know, let's not mess about. Yeah. Metal and glass construction. This thing has got two front-facing cameras, one on the main screen, one on the front screen when it's folded when it's folded how thick is it because that's always my concern with the folded phones eh, i don't have dimensions here let me see i'm looking at uh, richard lies article in engadget he went a little deeper than we did at tech radar and i don't see dimensions unfortunately but it has that cool hinge uh weight's <laughs> pretty it's a pretty heavy thing 
It weighs 311 grams. I did see that it, it's it's reliable and that it's going to be like, you know, 10 years of folding and unfolding. Yeah, you know, that stuff, like, sure, okay, yeah. I believe Maybe. it. You, you better, you know, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, but, oh, here are the resolution 2160 by 1916 for the inside panel. Okay, unfolded, that's, yeah. And that's, that's the, uh, that's the uh, what's it called, LTPO uh, E5 panel from Samsung, okay. the one that's on the S22 Ultra as well. And then uh, 66 watt wired and 50 watt wireless charging, of course, because, <laughs> you know, why not? Because China is always like that. They just give us like this crazy fast charging for everything. I mean, this is cool. I think it's going to be, you know, Vivo is pretty high end in terms of pricing and stuff. 12 gigs of RAM, 250 gigs of storage for $1,410. Not bad for a folding phone with those specs. Yeah. I mean, it, it, again, I've yet to see a single folding phone out in the wild of any brand. And I I feel like the ones that look the most like a flip phone that people remember, and because there's a whole nostalgia retro thing going on in the market right now, people yeah, looking yeah. at some older stuff. But if you can combine sort of the cutting edge with the nostalgia which is really a, a, a flip phone, then then you have something. And I haven't seen enough like that that I think you know, my, the, the Galaxy uh, Fold uh, Z Flip 3 you know, was probably my favorite for that fact that even though it's wider and it's not really quite as much like a flip as I'd want, but nobody is quite getting to that. So we've got these sort of weird, sort of longer, thinner, and then they open into almost like a square and and, you know, if you want a phone and not a tablet, why are you doing that? You know what I'm saying? It's like there's a, such a specific market for these phones. That's why they can get away yeah. with, with charging like $1,500 for them because they're for this, this sort of upscale, narrowly targeted market. But it's, a very, it's very much aspirational technology. We're still in the stage of figuring this stuff out. That's why I was so fixated on Vivo's uh, folding solution because the hinge, yeah, yeah. once again, it's another look at – how we can do the hinge better because until this is perfect, consumers are gonna be like, mm, Yeah, I don't wanna take the I, risk. I'm not really sure of the utility of a phone that <laughs> folds into a tablet. The Oppo Find N to me was interesting that way because it didn't pretend to be a tablet. I mean, it was bigger when open, but it just behaved like a smartphone. So, you know, you just got more screen real estate and then you closed it and it was the size of an iPhone mini that was a little thicker. And that was appealing because if you had a very simple, and the full, the front screen is full front screen. So you can actually use it. It's actually wider than the front screen on the Z Fold 3, but not as tall. So you can actually use it if you have to on a pinch and then you switch over. Um, the next thing we have on here is just really a PSA for the community. The uh, Red Magic 7 Pro is out. That's been out in China for a while. The global model is out. So those of you in the US can now buy it because it's actually sold and supported in the US with 5G bands for the US like the, the 7 was. And the difference between the 7 and 7 Pro is that the 7 Pro has an under-display camera and for the front and has a 108-megapixel rear camera sensor. But basically, they're the same phone. They're a gaming phone, Snapdragon 8 Gen 1, shoulder buttons, built-in fan with RGB lighting, of course. And I reviewed it, so check it out. Not the Pro, but the 7 on my on hot hardware. Check it out. But it's, you know, there's really not much to say other than if you're a gamer and you're waiting for the better Red Magic, it's out now. 
And then let's see, we've got the Pixel 6a. Yeah, so Pixel 6a went through the FCC, which just tells us that it's coming soon. I think we're going to see this at Google I.O., right? What yeah, do you think? That makes, that makes sense. I mean, even if it won't be like, it won't be much of a mention. It'll be kind no. of like, you know, this is something new we've got because the focus of, of Google I.O. is always sort of eye-popping, uh, 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 algorithmic and AI-based uh, yeah, technology. Totally. Something, you know, oh, now it can not only uh, make a hair appointment for you, but it can tell you how you were feeling about your haircut afterwards. You know, it's like that kind of stuff. <laughs> you remember that call, that phone call to the hairdresser? Oh, I remember oh, it my so God, clearly. So clearly. Oh, yeah. Another thing you should know, we talked earlier about switching from iPhone to Android. That doesn't happen very often, apparently, but it happens often enough that there's a leak of a switch to Android. That's what it's called, app from Google. So uh, TechRadar wrote about this. Those of you who dare, who dare to switch from an iPhone to an Android phone, I applaud your daringness or whatever the word is. I applaud your willingness to try this, but there will be an app to help you because this is definitely one of the biggest challenges right now. Yeah, yeah, it sure you know? is. It's about time that they got to this. It's, it's been easier going the other way. Exactly. So the last thing we kind of touched on, and I want to kind of elaborate just a little more on this one, is there is a, it's been confirmed now that on April 21st, OnePlus is having some sort of announcement in India for a phone that has had multiple names now. <laughs> I believe it's going to be called the 10R. So the R series is India only, and it's always been basically they've taken, I believe when the 8R came or the 8R or the 9R. One of those came out. It was essentially a OnePlus 8T rebranded and like with a new processor, but the chassis and the cameras and everything was mm -hmm. the same. So I'm not sure if this is here the same. This looks more like they're actually taking a Realme phone and rebranding it. And the only takeaway here that you really have to worry about, the only thing that matters is that this has potentially the first OnePlus phone with 150 watt charging, <laughs> which they promised at MWC. So it looks like a reskinned Realme GT Neo 3, which is the newest Realme mid-rangers. And this is going to be, it might have been called the OnePlus Ace, and there might be a new line under the Ace branding, but that looks like no, because the invite to the OnePlus thing says OnePlus 10R. So anyway, Ace or 10R, this is going to be a rebranded, reskinned Realme GT Neo 3. And, but it has the distinction of having 150 watt charging and it's India only for now, as far as I know, or the rest of the world only. We're not going to see this in the US or the West at all. No. So keep your ears peeled if you're <laughs> in those markets and you're curious about what OnePlus has got, what Ace they have under their sleep. Oh, ah. Yes. I did it. Um, no, but I think like, I think what's interesting here is that, you know, this part spinning, right? Like remember part spinning? There we go. This is hundred percent part spinning. 6.7 inch AMOLED. We've got a Dimensity 8100 in there. This phone's already been released. It's out. It's, you know, 50 megapixel Sony IMX 766 main sensor, probably without OIS on this one because they do both with and without. And, and you know, like a two megapixel macro camera, which I call a, a sticker cam, might as well be a sticker because it's so useless. It's typical what we expect. But at the same time, this 150 watt charging, I think is exciting because in these yeah. markets, I've reviewed the Xiaomi phones with 120 watt charging. You're in India, you might not have reliable power at your home. You're taking the train back, uh, you know, to from work to your home and you have a train station has an outlet. You plug in for five minutes before your train arrives and you get like 50 
30, 40% of your battery life back. And with a big 5,000 milliamp hour battery, you're going to get, you know, enough juice to hold you for a day for just charging those five minutes in the train station. And those markets, it makes perfect sense, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so, uh, it's exciting to have that kind of charging speed. Although you wonder how hot the phone gets, but uh, yeah. Well, they've managed uh, done do a pretty good job. I think the the one twenty watt one I use uh, was surprisingly cool while charging. I think they're That's they're good. you know the battery chemistry they're using is kind of the latest state of the art used in EVs, mm-hmm. and then they're using some really really cool like not not cool in temperature but cool in terms of tech. A battery management also inherited from EVs, and right. they're doing some pretty very careful AI-based actually current and voltage monitoring to get the battery to just be at its peak all yeah. the time. Yeah, well, literal. I mean, Apple does that too. With the, they use the AI to manage the yeah, battery. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know they're even guaranteeing over a thousand charge cycles on these at high speed, which is pretty incredible. So yeah. I think I believe them. I think that the days of the Note Seven. Uh, lighting up on fire are behind us. This <laughs> has become, yeah. I think this has become such a priority for companies. Well, it is. It, I will I will say, and I don't want to, I know we're running short on time, but very briefly, my OnePlus, my OnePlus 9 Pro, phone I really enjoyed. Yeah. I picked it up because I was preparing to look at the OnePlus 10 Pro. And I noticed that the case was, was, like, was sticking out of the case. Turned out it had expanded and popped the case the battery had expanded so wow. much it popped the case that's actually pretty unusual for one year old phone. i've had this happen on phones that were in storage for like three years or something yeah especially sony phones <clears throat> sorry sony guys uh but uh you know now that i've mentioned the note 7 again that's it uh, samsung's gonna be bad at me, gonna call me up. <laughs> look like every time i mention it it's I not your like fault it's could not you your not, fault could you it not happened say it was that? real uh and by the way this happened to me on two google pixel 3 xls over huh. the last like three or four years. Uh, it's just a weird, you know. It happens. It does happen. It does happen more than people think. Uh, but uh, yes. So in any case, the last thing I'll say about the about the 150 watt charger is it is another great example of Android sort of innovating before Apple. Yeah. You know, a lot of you might say, well, this is stupid. I don't need it. Yeah, you don't need it because you, you live in the West and you charge right. every night and you have a regular lifestyle that lets you do that. But in some markets, that's super important. That's more important than wireless charging that I feel is critical, you know? Yeah. So, you know, just everybody's got different needs. So yep. let's not dismiss that. I think that we will eventually converge to a point where every flagship can charge at over 100 watts and it'll just be a normal oh, thing. So. Sure. And you just might choose to charge at five watts. Yep. Or you'll be like using an old iPhone square adapter, <laughs> you know, with this state-of-the-art Android phone. <laughs> then it'll be like puttering along, happily doing its thing. Oh man, we live in a crazy world. <laughs> anyway, Lance, we should wrap up. Do you want to tell folks where they can find you on the internet? Certainly. Um, obviously, I'm some U.S. editor in chief of Tech Radar, so you can find stories by me there. Uh, I also uh, write occasionally on Medium. You can find some stories there, and if, always find me on uh, Twitter at Lance Yulinoff. That's right. So, folks, follow Lance on Twitter and hit us up, the both of us, on Twitter if you want to comment on the podcast, ask some questions. I'm at Tankerl on Twitter. That's T-N-K-G-R-L. Like the comic book character, but drop the vowels. And that's my Twitter handle. Also, my Instagram handle if you want to see pretty pictures of phones, pretty pictures of cars, pretty pictures taken with phones, because I do all my photos with phones mostly. Go check out my Instagram. And then, of course, the podcast lives at Mobile Tech Podcast. 
podcast.com or on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Spotify, everywhere good podcasts can be found. There's also an RSS feed of that URL if you want to go the old school way. And if your app lets you review or rate the show, please consider doing that. That would be really helpful. There is a couple of YouTube channels related to the podcast, youtube.com slash mobile tech podcast and youtube.com slash mobile tech more. Both of them are basically visuals to go along with the podcast. You get the phones, the earbuds, the smartwatches, the immediate personal tech peripherals to the phone on the main channel. And on mobile tech more, you get the home automation, car tech, travel tech, all the stuff that's peripheral but still touches your everyday smartphone life. So you know how YouTube works, right? Like, like, subscribe, click the notification icon, tell your friends, comment. You can comment about the actual audio podcast on there. I'll answer. It's cool. I don't mind. And then, of course, we have a Patreon. I mentioned it earlier. If you want to see this podcast and see our faces and see us handle the devices, we don't do a lot of handling, but a little bit. You can subscribe to the Patreon. There's a tier for the video version, which comes out a little earlier than the audio version. It's also less edited. You know, I don't go all crazy. I give you a bit more of the raw experience as if you were there. So that's for you. Check it out. There is also a Discord server that lets you chat with me. That's one of the tiers. There's a bunch of tiers. Look at it. Patreon.com slash tankgirl. That's patreon.com slash tnkgrl. If you can't afford doing that, you know, please help help us out. This is how we make this podcast happen, through your help uh, with Patreon. And then if you don't like Patreon and you want to support financially, I get it. There's another option. There is a PayPal link in the show notes. You can click through there and make a donation. Buy me a coffee, buy me lunch, whatever it might be. It also helps. So yeah, um, thanks for the patrons that we have. And uh, thanks for joining if you're considering it. I appreciate it. And I want to thank our sponsor, Esper, this week. Esper is the world's only DevOps for device platform. Esper powers the unseen world of Android, the world of dedicated devices. Everything from point-of-sale terminals to exercise equipment to mission-critical communications handsets for first responders. Check out esper.io and book a demo today. And I want to thank David again for being my guest. And of course, Lance. Thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely. We'll have you on again at some point in the future. And folks, you know we'll have another show next week. So stay tuned for that. Until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.